Gia Yeef and welcome back to the Soul Fair podcast. So my name is Lisa Gallagher and I'm here today with Orla Freeman. So Orla is a male woman, a mother of three, and she's going to share her story today with us of her journey with your youngest child, Orla, Um. So we're going to start right at the beginning and the moment of birth and how you were gifted this beautiful blessing into your life. Mm. Yeah, uh, thanks, Lisa, for having me on. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with me. So, as you said, I'm a mom to three boys. Our oldest boy is Rory, then we have Dara, and then Owen, who's eight now. Can't quite believe that, but I suppose so much has happened in those eight years as well, Lisa. So, Owen was born in November 2014. And as I said, myself and my husband, Shane, thought we had absolutely nothing to learn about parenthood because we had managed to bring two children up for the last four years. So we thought that we had this. But when Owen was born, he had a newborn hearing screening test before we left the hospital. And this was actually something new to me because with my other two boys, um, we didn't have this test. Uh, The universal programme had only been introduced the year before Owen was born. And many children mightn't be diagnosed with a hearing loss until maybe they're two when they don't start talking. So basically, babies are screened from a very young age. So Owen was two days old. And I remember the technician coming up to me as I was packing up my bag and said, oh, would you mind if we just done a little test on your baby? We just put a little probe in his ear and we're just really looking for any hearing issues or hearing problems. Now, I had Owen. I had a very healthy pregnancy, same as my other two boys. There was no indications of anything. You know, I I guess I was 33 years of age, you know, so people just thought, oh, oh everything's good here. Uh, again, there was no history of deafness in our family, and neither myself or Shane had any hearing issues that we knew of. And we had never met a deaf person before. We didn't know anybody with hearing loss or deafness. And to say that Owen was the first deaf person we ever met just seems crazy now because deafness and the deaf community is such a big part of our life. And we know many deaf people now. So I don't know how we managed to walk this earth for 33 years and 40 years and to never have um, encountered anyone that was deaf. So I always think that very special, that Owen was the first deaf person that we ever got to meet and love. And he literally began us on this journey into this very beautiful world. He just introduced you into this wonderful new way of experiencing life. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I suppose we knew absolutely nothing about deafness. We realized that anything we knew about parenting before, we had to kind of just throw that out the window. You know, we take it for granted, Lisa, like how a child develops language, or we take it for granted how a child actually gets to stand up and walk. And these were obviously issues for Owen because of balance. And it would have taken him that bit longer to kind of even sit upright. So we had to learn a lot of things. And to say that we were okay with this straight away would be a lie 
because we had so many fears, you know, things now that I look back and think, God, why did you worry about that? You know, you didn't have to worry about that. Look how he turned out. But at the time we did worry. We worried, you know, would we have to send him away to a different place to go to school? Because this was things that stories we would have heard about, you know, and basically questioned ourselves. Did we have enough to give him? So basically, Lisa, he had been diagnosed with a underdeveloped nerve and cochlea, which I suppose is where we have our hearing hairs. So even when he was going to be referred for a cochlear implant, it wasn't going to be the same as other children and that received a cochlear implant because he didn't really have the inner ear anatomy for success. So from a very early age, we had to learn sign language to help him communicate. Wow. So how was it for your other children? Because, you know, yeah, because they're the older brothers and they think, OK, mm. we've got this the younger brother now. I'm sure that they had all of these sorts of ideas of how they were going to be able to play with him, interact with him. Mm. And then they were also faced with that challenge of learning a whole new way of interacting. And children are so they're resilient, but they have such an open heart and they're so nonchalant in the way that they just kind of adapt mm. to the needs of other children. It's beautiful to see. But how was it for them? Because they wouldn't so, have really understood. They would have been very young when Owen was born. Yeah. So Dara uh, was two and a half and Rory had just turned four. So I remember, yeah, like every child that age, you know, the baby comes in and they kind of go near him sometimes and they wouldn't at other times. But a beautiful story, actually, about that, I guess, because they were so young, they just accepted Owen for how he came into the world and I at the time there was a little bit of guilt because we obviously had to go to an awful lot of appointments and things with Owen so like for Rory and Dara were kind of left with granny and she she'd have to mind them every so often but about two years after Owen was born my friend had a baby and this was the first baby I suppose that had been born close to us and Rory at the time would have been six and he just turned around to me and said, so when's Eileen going to get her cochlear implant? Yeah. And I said, mm, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he says, oh, well, I just thought that all babies were born deaf. And I just thought to myself, how beautiful is that? That they just thought that Owen was just like every other baby. But now as they've got older, uh, I do see that having grown up with Owen, I suppose, and having have had to have a lot of patience with Owen, uh, because that's the thing, anybody that has a child with additional needs or a sibling with additional needs will know that it's patience. You need it in bucket loads. And sometimes you have to, for an easy life, um, help them or let them just have their way. And I see this with Rory and Dara when they are with other children. They're so patient and so placid and so gentle. And even the way I see them communicate, they'll be down on their knees, making sure they have the most beautiful eye contact, you know. So I think these are things that you could try to teach your children and they never succeed in doing. But because they've had own in their life, because they've possibly seen us modeling in a certain way 
how we've had to be with Owen. Uh, they just do this naturally. So that's what I say to them. I always tell the two older boys that someday they are going to make the most amazing dads because, you know, they had a very unique experience with their brother and that they, you know, they have given Owen a gift as well. Like, I don't believe that Owen would ever have been the confident, you know, cool little kid he is if he didn't have those two older brothers. And I remember saying this, that when Owen was diagnosed, I thought, how lucky was I, you know, that this was my third baby, because I do feel for women, especially that when they have a diagnosis at birth that they weren't expecting, it is so challenging because becoming a mom and learning all the practicalities about motherhood is so hard. But to have to deal with this on top of it is even harder. And I thought to myself, for me, I was very lucky that he was my third son, but also for Owen, he was very lucky that he was born the baby and was born just that little bit different to his two older brothers. So sometimes in life, things can happen and we can say, oh, why us? But I always said, why not us? Because I think we were just set up perfectly for Owen to come into our lives. It's beautiful. And just you touched on the challenges of, you know, coming into motherhood and then being faced with that additional challenge of finding out Mm. at birth. So you had went through the whole pregnancy process and everything was perfect up until the point that you were leaving the hospital and dealing with that, bringing it back to that point, that day that you found out and I suppose the first few weeks, months, the first few years how did you deal with that? Like, how did yeah. that affect your well-being? And like, how did you move through those those difficult moments? Yeah, like, that's a really good question, Lisa, because I think that is the reason why I always go out to share Owen's story, because I want to try and get that mom that may have just got the diagnosis, you know, and as I said, I feel very lucky that this was my third child, but I do have major concerns for moms that may be their first baby because I guess we got the diagnosis when Owen was possibly seven weeks old. So you kind of have this initial test at bedside, but then you have to go on for further uh, further tests yeah. pretty much straight away. So Owen was about seven weeks when we got his official diagnosis and I remember uh, it was Christmas time and we could have actually got it earlier but I had decided no you know what I want to enjoy Christmas with Owen I want him to have to be all about Owen this beautiful newborn baby not everybody asking us questions about well what does this mean and what will happen next and all the questions and I suppose I wanted him we I wanted him to be a baby before I'd have to hand him over to become a medical baby because that's it once you get a diagnosis you need not have to share your baby with everything else and appointments that kind of come with that but also I think about that first time mom and I think about the six weeks and that first six weeks and how precious those six weeks are and I feel blessed that I got the opportunity to have a newborn stage without anybody else interfering or anything with my two other boys. But you do feel a bit robbed, I suppose, of the newborn stage. 
when you get a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. So I guess going back to your question, how did I cope in those early days and those early weeks? I think that's what I did. I tried to pull all the positives as possible into the situation. And I just thought to myself, you know what, Orla, don't think about this negatively because you have been very lucky up to this point. You know, I didn't want Owen's story or Owen's history to be a sad one. So I kind of made a very conscious decision that how I reacted to Owen's diagnosis was how a lot of people around me was going to react to Owen's diagnosis. And if I could be not as upbeat or as positive, but if I could be as reflective as possible about his diagnosis, I think other people then would follow suit. You know, I, if I was very sad and negative about it, then I think other people would have took on that tune as well. Lisa, so I uh, I did my best. There was a grieving process. I won't deny that. Like, uh, even now there's a little bit of me that feels guilty to say that. But I remember a nurse saying that to me. She said, you know what, you're going to have to grieve for the baby that you didn't get. And I kind of looked at her going, no, okay, thank you. I'm happy with my baby, but though it is true, you do grieve. You grieve that maybe you were robbed of that carefree newborn stage where all I wanted to be worrying about the sleepless nights and everything, but that didn't matter now. You know, you grieve that maybe you hadn't planned for this. You know, you ha- you weren't prepared for this. So that life changed and the old life that you had possibly was gone and there was this new life and perhaps you know temporarily you do grieve for that mm-hmm. uh, but I think I as you said how did I cope I wrote everything down I wanted to make sure that I could remember how I felt in these early stages and I wrote everything down and I just always found that when I got it down on paper and read the words back I could see already that something beautiful was unfolding because of the way I was thinking and I was feeling. It wasn't sadness. It wasn't bitterness. But like, I honestly believe that we had been chosen for some reason. Like, I I really knew that this all had happened for a reason, but I didn't quite know the reason yet. But that, yeah, it all happened for a reason. And I remember my husband saying that to me, he goes, Orla, I don't ever say why us? Like, why not us? And that always stuck with me, always stuck with me that, you know, why not us? Maybe we're ideal. <laughs> it does sound like you're you're very well capable of, of managing the situation. And as a person, what do you feel like? What gift do you think that you developed as a result of your relationship with Own and having him in your life? Because, you know, you yeah. would have had different strengths and skills, of course, right up until his, his moment of birth. But mm. that whole journey has helped you to grow as a person and to develop as a person. And what would you say is your greatest gift that you received from this? Yeah, from a young age, anyway, I had learned that life can change very suddenly and that things can you know don't always aren't always perfect like I lost my father suddenly when I was 12 and I think that prepared me for an awful lot in life that you can't wait for everything to be perfect you know you can't wait for everything to be perfect to enjoy life and to embrace life you sometimes have to just make do with the situation 
So I think from a very young age, I had the tools of always trying to look for those positives or always trying to look for maybe the reasons why things happened. But most certainly since Owen came into our life, I think the gift that I have received from this is to know that life doesn't have to be perfect to be perfect. I always like to say living an imperfectly perfect life. And what I mean by that is when you'd get a diagnosis like Owen's, many people would be crying or upset about all the things that the baby won't be able to do. But what Owen has taught me is that don't look at the can't do's, but look at everything else that you can do. Look at everything else that you can experience. And it's taught me that like, it's not about changing people as much, but sometimes we just have to adjust the environments around us and things can work. And I suppose he has given me the gift to believe that anything and everything is possible and that the power of believing that things can happen is such a force, is such a force. And he is a miracle, really, when I think about it. Like we were told long ago, oh, he will never speak. A cochlear implant will never work with him because he physically doesn't have the anatomy for it. But he defied the odds. You know, he now does have some speech and doctors in Dublin and everything can't get over how much he accesses sound and everything. But I think that was because we never gave up hope. You know, like if people say to me, oh, that won't happen for him. No, he won't be able to, to do that. It spurs me on that little bit more to say, no, he will be able to do that. You know, so, yeah, he's given me trust as well. Like I do have immense trust in everything that happens in life since Owen was born, because I do feel that certain things have a way of happening to always prepare us for the next thing. And Owen literally was this light that came into our life to guide us through many more dark times that followed. And as you said, like he was born healthy. He was a healthy baby, but he was born with these special powers of seeing the world in a different way. And he has such compassion and empathy, like for other people, like he knows people's feelings before they show them on, on their face, you know? And I think he's just taught me to see that everybody has a purpose and everybody has a gift and that everybody deserves the right to have the same opportunities as everyone else regardless of, you know, your disability or anything, you should still have the same opportunities. And I suppose he's given me that fight inside of me to always make sure that anybody that people don't think could do something or have the ability to do it, I want to say, well, hang on, well, look, you're looking at their disability. Why aren't we looking at all their other abilities? And what that can bring to your workforce, you know, I, I know I'm jumping the gun here a little, but Owen is eight years of age and I could send him working anywhere right now. Like he has such a gift with his hands. He sees somebody do something once 
and he knows how to do it, you know, and his visual memory is amazing. And you just think companies, they don't, if they could look past what people can't do and just see, oh, well, what do these abilities, of the superpowers of their abilities, what can they do? You know, they'd be amazed. And we're all ignorant, aren't we? Unless we've lived with somebody that's deaf or we know somebody with another disability, we don't really know anything at all because there's so much more behind that person that gets a diagnosis, you know, but sometimes they're just not given the chance and that's it. So that's one of the things Owen has taught me is to always give everyone a chance to prove what they can do. Mm. And that's an important point that you mentioned because there is a tendency to put people into boxes and to... Mm identify somebody by their disability or by the challenges that they face but if there is one sense that is um, weakened then there are other aspects of that person that are strengthened and so the one question I would love to to ask is what does life look like for Owen? How does he navigate life? His way of learning has been adapted to his situation. So he has heightened skills in many other aspects of his life as a result of, you know, not having that reliance on his hearing. So what does life look like for him? I know it's hard from the outside, but, you you know, living with him and seeing him navigate his, the world every day. Yes. Yes. That's the one thing, Lisa, I would love is to be able to be inside Owen's head for a day. And I, you know, people might say, God, would it be sad though? Because you'd see that like the way he hears isn't natural because of his cochlear implant or when the implant is taken off and he's in complete silence. But I, I don't think it would be sad. I would want to go in and be in that world because I just think, God, how peaceful must it be? Like, I do think that, like, when he takes off his implants and he looks around him, he sees life going on. He he sees everything. I'd say that he even sees things in a much more beautiful, calm, relaxed way. Do you know, he navigates the world around him so well and so seamlessly. And, um, you know, he obviously uh, can get some sound through his cochlear implant. So he does pick up that environmental sound. But as I said, it wouldn't be a natural, it wouldn't be a natural sound. Uh, you know, he has his sign language, but not everybody around him would sign. So the whole time he looks so closely at faces and he looks at like, he's an amazing lip reader and he'd be looking at lip shapes and everything. And you would have one slight little frown in your face and he'll say what's wrong what's the matter you know he knows straight away you can't hide anything from him and uh, you could even have slightly changed something in the house and he will be the first one to notice the change and the thing about him is there's no other face in this world that I know as well as owns because I've looked at him face on face for eight years because when you're when you have a deaf child there's no such thing as talking with your back turned to him it has to be like it's it's perfect communication you know that's the ironic thing so yeah I mean he navigates the world and you know I 
I have no fears for Owen's future or anything, you know, like I get so excited when I think what would the next stage bring, you know, because he just amazes me. Like he's eight years of age, but I don't think there's 17 year olds that would actually be as self-sufficient as what he is. You know, he's so careful, like even on the road or anything like that, because he wouldn't have then directional awareness with sound because he only has one implant he wouldn't hear which direction a car would come from so like his little head would go like this so when he is on the road or anything he is so careful he's so cautious so I suppose I said he's he's very cautious of the environment around him you know and he'd be very very careful yeah so like that maybe we're lucky in a sense with another child these are things you have to teach other children whereas Owen just does things naturally because it's just his way of survival, I guess. Yeah. It's amazing how we learn to thrive in our environment, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm. And also the the art of the communication, because, you know, so many people think it is about the words that you use. It's the language that you use. Mm-hmm. And it's just about the tone of your voice. And it's amazing how much you can communicate when you want to, how many ways you can communicate mm. with others through body language, through your energy. You know, through the way that you face them, the respect that you show them. And all of those are communicators. And we sometimes forget about that when we have the ease of of language and, and words. Yeah. We forget mm. about all those different aspects that help us to communicate and, and navigate. So it's a beautiful reminder, isn't it? Oh, it is. You realize how important everything else is. Like, you know, you say like about tone of voice. For Owen, it's not about tone of voice, but it's the look that's on your face. And like he'd say, why are you sad? Why are you sad? Why are you angry? You know, and, or it's like the, the, the hands as they're signing, the rhythm of the movements, the speed, this all determines what the person's mood would be, you know, and body language. Yeah. And I think before Owen would have been born, you know, I wouldn't have been as aware of all of that. You know, if you said to me, language I would have automatically have just said oh that's speech but that's the thing there is such a huge difference between speech and language and you know like many parents of children when they're diagnosed as being deaf they won't learn sign language because of the success of cochlear implants so a child would receive a cochlear implant at maybe 12 months old and sometimes parents are just waiting for that surgery we started sign language much earlier because we're like, going, well, how about the language that you're developing in your child in the year up to that, you know? And that's all to do with like gestures and body language and everything. So, yeah, it's definitely a very beautiful language, like Irish sign language, when you're aware of how important every other aspect is. Like, I think they say something like 70 percent is all to do with the body of like sign sign language and I don't know nothing is more beautiful than when you see a tiny little hand do a new sign back to you or you know nothing is more powerful than when Owen signs I love you through this classroom window in school you know and even when I pick them up we're able to still talk to each other while all the other children have said goodbye to their parents and you know don't know how they're feeling or what they what they're saying to them so it is it's a beautiful experience to be able to see a language that is much more than speech you know it's it's just yeah it's beautiful and you mentioned their Irish sign language 
Mm. So are there different sign languages for different yeah. countries? Does Ireland have its own now? It's it's now recognized yes. official language. So maybe you can yes. explore a little bit into that because I think yes. it's so helpful for yeah. you know, those of us who are not interacting with the deaf community on a daily basis. And we sometimes forget, like I have to admit that I forget sometimes mm. that, you know, there is that form of communication. You know, we think about yes. Irish and we think about English and how mm. nice it will be mm. to revive our, our own language. But this is such an important language mm. to learn. Yeah. So every country has its own signed language. So Northern Ireland would have BSL, British Sign Language, and we have Irish Sign Language, ISL. So often people say, oh, wouldn't it be easier if everybody, there was just one sign language for the whole world. But then that's like saying, well, wouldn't it be easier if the whole world just spoke the one language? But like all languages, it's not just about what you hear or see, but it's surrounded by the culture or the history of that language. So Irish Sign Language is much more than a language. There's a whole culture. There's a history to it. It's it's got a whole its own linguistics. You know, it's it's a fully fledged language, as you say. And really, every school should be teaching Irish Sign Language because it is a very visual language. So you don't have to be a language person to thrive with it. Like my husband is a French teacher. And I was useless at French in school, but yet I kind of picked it up a little bit quicker than him because I'm such a visual person. That's how I learn. And I know like in Owen's school, there was a pilot European language program that was running last year. So they selected the Irish sign language element and it was taught to all third to sixth class students in Owen's school. And it was lovely. They all thoroughly enjoyed it. They all picked it up really, really fast. And we'd be down in the supermarket and these kids from like sixth class would be coming up to Owen, kind of going, have you Owen? You know, and like they, they loved the fact that they had Owen to test their new skills on. And Owen would be very funny. They might do the sign wrong and he'd literally get their hands and correct the handshakes, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it is a language that should be taught. And if more people knew Irish Sign Language, it just makes the world that little bit more accessible then for children like Owen. Because it's not just about, oh, it's, as we all know, language is in a one-way street. You know, it's not just about Owen understanding what's happening in the world, but it's also about other people understanding what Owen's trying to express. And like, particularly when he started in school, you know, we had to fight for the resources for Owen to have like an Irish sign language support in school. And that was the argument you were trying to make to the Department of Education and everything. It's not just about Owen understanding the curriculum, but it's about Owen expressing what he knows or, you know, understanding, to letting him, his friends know about his feelings and to be included and to, for it to be inclusive. Otherwise, he was just going to school and, you know, just learning, trying to learn like all the other children. But unless he had access to the curriculum in his language, he was never going to be equal. So thankfully, he had that support in school. Yeah, that's fantastic because he needs equality in social education as well. It's not just yes. the curriculum. It's not just about the academics. It's the social development of the child as well. And you hit a yeah. really important point there. And I think that's really helpful for us to remember that 
it gives them, it empowers them to communicate, mm. you know, and be heard mm. and be able to stand up and express how they're feeling, how they're navigating the world and to be equal, you know. So it's, I do hope that it comes into schools that, you know, there is more awareness around it and that, you know, certainly I'm now inspired to, to look into courses and to try and build upon that skill. You know, it should be just, something we all do that we all have because I even think later on in life you know maybe who knows if I don't have the power of speech when I'm older I will always have sign language and I just think again that is definitely a gift that Owen has given our family that we do have Irish sign language. Mm. He's, he's given so many gifts and so many pearls of wisdom and I think to anyone who is following your story you have a beautiful story on Instagram you've been updating it for years I mm. saw a little post where he was on uh, the toy show oh yes did he, enjoy <laughs> he did Do you know we, we laugh he chose the fastest thing you could go on the scooter and he was gone after three seconds but you know as I say it's uh, it's about the journey not the destination but it was a beautiful experience so Owen done in your not an audition an application and literally mm. I done the application obviously He's not that good <laughs> at eight that he could fill that in on his own. But he sent in a video clip of him reading and literally was able to say the words and kind of done a little bit of signing for Ryan to pick him or whatever. So out of 3,000 children, he was called for an audition and he went up to Dublin a couple of times and thought this was great altogether. And he got on the toy show, but... <laughs> Oh, you know, I was so proud of him that night. But what I witnessed in the green room, you know, he was watching all these other children going on and he turned around to me and he got all worried because he goes, oh, maybe Ryan don't know sign language and talk, talk, talk to me and maybe I won't understand. And I was like, no, it's OK. You're going on the scooter. You just get up and do what you have to do. And at the end, he goes, amigo, like this. So this is the international sign for I love you, right? So he wanted to do this at the end. So, But as each child came back, Owen stood up and he clapped and he went on, gave them a pat on the back and went, good job, well done. Yeah. And he was the only kid, you know, that actually did that. And I was just so proud of him, kind of going, wow, here we are in this big night and you're there and you're congratulating all these other children that come back in and I think then as we were leaving he gave each and every one of the researchers and floor runners a hug goodbye and to me I just went oh my goodness like that is that's what that was the highlight I kind of get teary about thinking about that because I just think that was the highlight of the night and I just think God he's so full of gratitude even you know and thanks he knew that this was something very special that was going on but he didn't forget to thank the people it was just great to see how he thrived in such an unfamiliar situation how he just took it on you know obviously you wouldn't be able to talk to him into the same depth as other children's mothers were probably explaining things but he just took it on and went for it and literally he flew it, you know, he, he just embraced the moment. And I think everybody else said to me afterwards when they kind of wrote back to me, just that they remembered him because he was just such a beautiful spirit 
and such a beautiful soul. And like, that's the thing. If I could tell, if I could have shown any parents that night and um, that just got a diagnosis, I'd say, just look at him because that's going to be your child in eight years time. The things that you're going to worry about right now, you don't need to worry about because they actually will find their own way. You know, they're going to find the solution. You don't actually need the solutions. And that's the thing. I've never had to come up for any solution for Owen. You know, I've literally ripped up the development charts and just said, right, we're on Owen's charts now. We're on Owen's scale. Owen's leading the way. And all we can do as parents with children with any disability is to try and make that environment as favourable for them as possible and just to be their advocate and to be their voice until they find a voice and stuff. I think Owen most definitely is finding his voice and I know that he will always fight to make sure he gets the best opportunities and I think more than anything I think his brothers will also see that you can fight and that you can get things and that good things can happen and you talked about the gifts that Owen has given this family. I think that's what he's given us, that good things can happen and that anything can be possible. And even applying for the toy show where there's like thousands of kids, you know, everything, dreams do come true. And Owen is, just reminds us of that every day, really. He is an old soul, most definitely. He has the empathy and emotional intelligence beyond his years. I mean, I think he's just always, always going to know people's feelings without them ever having to say a word. And isn't that amazing that you can read people's emotions, you read the things without having a full-blown conversation. You just know. And the truth of the matter is he was born, I think, to prepare us for everything that happened because... I think sometimes when these things in life happen, you have to go higher than the situation. You know, you have to say, right, this has happened for a reason. You've got to say, okay, what's the lesson that it's trying to teach us right now? You know, and that's what Owen did. I think Owen just was a curveball and we had to learn how to navigate life with that curveball, but also not for it to destroy our life, not to be a ball that came in and was destructive, but actually say, no, what do we build from this now? What beautiful life do we build with this? And it's like he is, I always describe him as the foreman anyway, because he's always bossing us all around and everything. But it is, it's like he is the one that, you know, we look at and say, geez, look at you. Like, look how hard life might be for you in the future, you know, but look at your can-do attitude. And as I say about him, like, because of him, we have met the kindest and the best of people because of him. Like, I think of the most amazing people I have met. I think of all the people that have worked to try and help Owen thrive and be what he is today. And I just wish at 18, I knew all these wonderful jobs existed, you know, uh, like he has brought us to the best of places. and. I mean, even at the worst of times, he still manages to make this world a better place because I think of the way we now think, you know. And yeah, I said he does bring out the best in everybody else too, definitely. Mm. And his experience and his development is deeply shaped by 
you and your husband as parents and his brothers as well, supporting him and allowing him to thrive in his environment and to be mm-hmm. the beautiful soul and the beautiful light that he is and that he brings into mm-hmm. the world. It's amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Orla, for for sharing those stories. I'm a little bit emotional hearing your story. It was just so beautiful. And I think it serves as such an important reminder of, you know, challenges can be blessings too. Mm. And I think there's a lot of strength that mothers and and everyone can take from your story. And I think from being in the position of not having lived with somebody who was deaf or having really a a close interaction with somebody who has hearing loss it's just an eye-opener as well and Mm. it just feels like like listening to your story helps to even respond better Mm. in the future and you know you mentioned a couple of things that you know we can do like learning Irish sign language Mm -hmm. you know taking the time to understand the needs of the deaf community a little bit better and Mm -hmm. to you know, also the importance of giving them that freedom and giving them that space and creating the right environment for them to be mm. equal, not just mm. in terms of the opportunities that they get to learn and to grow, but also how they, they can develop socially and mm. give them a voice. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that, uh, Lisa. And it's to kind of say that, like, the world, our environment, our community is for everyone. You know, you don't have to fit in a box and tick all the boxes to be a person that should be fully involved in the world. Like the world should be open to everyone. And it is, as you say, it's just little things that we might adapt, you know, that everybody has a place, you know, and everybody deserves a place and everybody deserves to be heard. And some, as I said, a reminder to everybody, look beyond what you can't do and look at all the things you can do. And when life does throw you then challenges, you know, don't wait for those challenges to be over to go and embrace life again because you know I think we'll always be faced with challenges but we always have the power to make the best of every situation you know no matter how scary it is but we do have the power and just you know live that's all we can do just make the best of everything absolutely thank you so much Orla it was lovely listening to your story and thank you for taking the time to share it I know. Thank you for having me, Lisa. You're very good.